As a strong, independent mother, there is nothing that will get in the way of your child's safety. Soberlink understands the importance of peace of mind when it comes to co-parenting after a divorce. Using the highest quality technology and with features like facial recognition and real-time results, moms like you are empowered with proof that your child is safe. Navigating life post-divorce can be difficult, and having a tool like Soberlink allows for one less thing to stress about. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create this resource, Tips for Single Moms Returning to Work. To access the guide, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash MMO. This week on Moms Moving On. If anybody's had a nervous breakdown or those really dark experiences where there's just not enough support, there's not enough therapy, there's not enough medication, and you're just sinking, and you know that feeling, when those experiences start to come back or those emotions start to come back, you will do whatever it takes to not go down that path again. One of the quotes that drives me crazy is, um, hurt people hurt people. Okay, well, stop saying that to the people who got hurt because what you're saying is, well, yeah, but they were hurt. That's why they did that. Who cares why they did that? Help that survivor process that pain, not based on someone else's experience, but theirs. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm so happy you're here. And today I have a guest that I'm sort of geeking out over because what started as this thing on Instagram where I would see his posts and feel just so seen and validated quickly flourished into more. As you guys know, I am big on studying and discussing trauma and resilience and healing your inner child. And this is exactly what this man does every day, all day, has made it his business to help others overcome the trauma of their past. And before I introduce him, I want to read a quote from his website that is so touching. Survivors are often underestimated. We walk far and long, carrying the brunt of generational pain until we stop and see, then know. We have walked strong. We have walked tall. We have expanded the path in order for those behind us to know that they will never break these cycles alone. We do this for all survivors, namely the ones who live within us, who have longed for their stories to be told. That quote is from none other than Nate Postlewaite, and I am so excited that he's here. Nate, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure. I love um, everything that you've said so far. It's just so in my alley and just appreciate your energy and your perspective and excited to be here. I'm excited you're here and I want to just issue a quick trigger warning because we're about to get real deep. And if any of this hits you in a way that doesn't feel good, please just shut it off, put on a good song, go for a walk, because sometimes going back can be painful. But as Nate and I know, you have to do it in order to move forward. So give yourself a little grace. When I interviewed Dr. Shafali about her new book, she said it's going to be really tough for you to read, Michelle. So always feel free to put it down and come back to it when you're ready. And the same goes for this episode. Without further ado, Nate, can you somehow sum up your past and why you are where you are today? My past. Um, (laughs) Childhood question there. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, childhood trauma survivor, about a decade of uh, sexual abuse that started when I was five. And um, my various neighbors, a local pedophile who was part of just a lot of other people's trauma as well. When I was 12, that went on for a couple of years. Um, experienced a bit of the foster care system and um, a lot of neglect, abandonment. And, um, you know, I think that I've said this before in other interviews where there's there's a large generation of us who are just born into traumatic environments where, you know, we're diagnosed with complex PTSD because the trauma is consistent and it just becomes a part of our DNA. And it's not this one thing happened here and things changed. It's, I was born into an environment that was traumatic on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I lived decades in survival mode because of the lack of safety and security, the lack of resources around me that said, here, exit here, um, so that you're actually, you feel like a regulated mind and body experiencing the world. Everything has always been this heightened awareness of you cannot relax or exhale or the other shoe will drop. Uh, um, yeah. So that's kind of my, soul. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of my, my upbringing. Um, a lot of really bad therapy, a lot of religious therapy, a lot of the, um, on top of what you experienced with the sexual abuse and the abandonment, then you get to a point in, in your early adulthood where you're told who you are is not okay. So change mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I think that just was almost like from the outside looking in, reading your story, the icing on the cake of like a really traumatic start to your life. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of myths about people become gay because they were abused. And that's so wildly inaccurate and quite offensive to the trauma that we've endured. But I grew up in that environment and that community that suggests people who are not heterosexual need repair. So at 18, I came forward about the abuse and the response was, oh shit, this means you're gay and we have to fix your sexuality. Mm -hmm. Listen, I was born gay. Um, and that was <laughs> beautiful was and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, <laughs> when I look back at the history, the fact that I knew because of my environment being so uneducated and detached from reality I knew that being gay, I was in a very religious environment. I knew that being gay was not an option because of what I heard about what being gay meant. So there was already that scarlet letter that was very deep internal and shaped the way I saw the world. And I knew that's just not an option. And of course, that vulnerability, I thought, okay, this really does need to go away. How does this work? And I was willing to do whatever it took to make that happen. So at 18, when I come forward to this ministry leader about my abuse, we never addressed abuse. We addressed my sexuality. And that just did so much more damage where it sent me down a further path for 13 years of religious therapy, hyper-focused on, okay, if I just surrender a little bit more, then God's finally going to flip that switch. And not once did we ever address this is a human form of a body who is carrying a decade 
of sexual childhood sexual abuse in their mind, their body, their nervous system. He was placed in foster care because of his father's abuse. He has dealt with abandonment, neglect. Um, he was suicidal, severe depression. Not one bit of that was addressed in 13 years of religious therapy. It was this constant, um, Nate, your anger is a seven and it should be about a two. It was more Bible verses, um, memorize this more prayer. And so, yeah, that, that led to the ultimate like refusal of my mind and body to work together anymore, where they were just like, I'm done. I don't give a shit about religion. I don't give a shit about this or this, like my brain's over here. My nervous system's with, with that. And my body's over here. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, we don't even know how to function anymore. And that was kind of the awakening for me, which was about 13 years ago. Yeah. Tell me about that awakening, because I think as a woman um, who has experienced her own level of trauma in different ways, my awakening was, oh my God, I have to be a mother now. And I mm. don't ever want this little girl to feel the way I felt or experienced mm. what I've experienced. So now I live in this world of every day making a conscious effort. How can I not let my trauma affect the situation? How can I respond differently? How can I break this cycle? And so for you, and I think, cause everybody comes to this awakening in a different place. I would love to hear your aha moment. And then what transpired from that? My aha moment was coming out. I mean, that was so powerful for me where it was it just legitimately shackles fell off my back. The way that I saw the world change, the shape of my face and the way that I smile changed overnight where there was a freedom and there was life in my eyes and my smile for the first time. Um, they're just, I, I've posted before, I've got a highlight called, um, it's my very first highlight, but it, it shows old pictures with this quote of like, uh, what story does your face tell? And you can just see even at like 30, 31, this guy, I don't, I didn't even know how to smile. You could look and see he's in so much pain and just so confused, even when trying to appear happy and engaged, just, you know, checked out. Um, after years of trauma therapy, I just, I started to feel a lot of the impacts of that prior nervous breakdown come back again about five years later. And that's when I made a decision of just like, if, if anybody's had that, a nervous breakdown or those really dark experiences where there's just not enough support, there's not enough therapy, there's not enough medication, and you're just sinking. And you know that feeling? When those experiences start to come back or those emotions start to come back, you will do whatever it takes to not go down that path again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to be very careful about my workload and the way that I engage with people. But when I started to see those symptoms come back for the first time, five years later, that's when I had to have a really honest conversation with myself and say, listen, I think at some point you're going to have to branch outside of any type of faith and understand sexuality from a different place. And I mean, Michelle, it just was one of these things where like the moment I was given permission, I grabbed it and ran and I've been completely unapologetic. There's no part of me that questions my sexuality. Um, if anything, I used all of my energy to offer grief to the years that I missed fighting a, a dead end road 
that I, I did not know because of how it was planted in me so early. Um, but that, gosh, I mean, just like, you just feel like you woke up for the first time and you're looking around saying, I don't have any secrets anymore. Right. I don't owe anybody an explanation on why I don't want to be set up with their sister. I don't have to explain like <laughs> anything anymore. Like here it is. You made and, such and- a great husband to this woman. <laughs> you're a catch. Does she have a brother? <laughs> um, it, it really like that freedom that comes with just like owning your shit. Like, yes, this happened. This is me. This yeah. is what it is, everybody. Yeah. And then, I mean, Michelle, that like when you've lived in like internal confinement your whole life and you've showed up in the world and said, I'm sorry for who I am. I can't express who I really am. You'll never really know me but I'm working my ass off to be loved and accepted because I I can't actually show you what I'm holding because it's so, uh, and what I've been taught was just so unacceptable, unlovable, repulsive. You said something on your website that I want to point out because for a lot of people who are in these marriages where the trauma is happening, whether it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, I feel like this could really relate you said something like you were, it's almost like you were begging to get into prison. Mm-hmm. Like for a lot of women, they're fighting so hard to stay in these relationships and they don't know why. And I, I think you should talk about that notion of being imprisoned by your own like life and reality. Yeah. I want to make a quick plug for Dr. Bruce Perry's new book with Oprah. Um, what happened to you? It is, I think I read 90% of it in the first day, but they, do an unbelievable job explaining how the brain interprets their environment and how vulnerable and, and, and adaptable the brain is from birth to seven and what you experienced that time, like how that records familiarity. And so I think a lot of us hear these gaslighting messages of just like, you're, you're drawn to him because you were abused. Let's not say that um, because that's putting more work on the survivor's shoulders to say you're responsible Mm -hmm. on who you're drawn to. Let's look at the deeper narrative, which is you were in a very vulnerable position and based on what you were fed in those vulnerable moments, it shaped the way you adapt and your brain is constantly craving familiarity if what you experienced from birth to seven was traumatic, you're not going to be able to identify relationships often that are toxic because it's what you know. It's what you know. And that's where so many of us are finding ourselves as, as women. And also when we were children and experiencing this toxicity or whatever, we weren't in a space where anyone's parents were like, great therapy, go be an involved version of yourself. Everything was, you know, my mom said it to me recently. You look, you seem fine. You were happy. Oh, really? Cause I was like, I knew I had to be, or, you know, I'd be put down. So I think that that acceptance of like, if somebody would have said something's wrong, let's fix it. We wouldn't be here. But then it's also like this beautiful place you come to in your life where you're so inclined to fix everything for yourself. I think the way that the messages are consistently relayed, the amount of gaslighting that people who are attempting to speak up and make change to be understood, to make peace with prior trauma, to be seen, 
uh, to be believed, the amount of gaslighting that happens in that space has got to change. My mission is to expand the conversations around trauma, period. So that, you know, even one of the quotes that drives me crazy is um, hurt people hurt people. Okay, well, stop saying that to the people who got hurt because what you're saying is, well, yeah, but they were hurt. That's why they did that. Who cares why they did that? Help that survivor process that pain, not based on someone else's experience, but theirs. Mm-hmm. So there's just, there's a lot of the conversations that happen that I feel like th- there's value in it, but we've got to expand it so that the people who are hurting don't feel alone and misunderstood and have this deep threat of, if I speak up and share the truth about what I've carried, then I'm going to have people hurting me more when I'm already open and that vulnerable and raw. Yeah. Absolutely. I'll have a lot of women or, and that it reach out to me and that I work with one-on-one who will tell me I've experienced abuse as a child. Now I've found myself in an abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. There's just no moving forward for me. I can't do this anymore. What advice would you give there? Um, you have to start dealing with the root of where abuse was normalized and offer hope to that version of you so that they feel relief. We carry these subconscious parts of us that have these experiences and adapt to traumatic environments, not knowing that we actually do deserve that instinct inside of us that says to be held safely, to not have to be looking over your shoulder, to not be hypervigilant. You deserve that, we all deserve that. And what happened to you at a prior time in your life is dictating so much of current pain because we've been taught to forgive and forget. Um, We've been taught don't dwell on the past. Those circumstances are driving the way that we make decisions. And it's so difficult to understand until we go back to a lot of those places where we were so innocent, so precious, so vulnerable and start to work with that part of us and It takes bravery. It takes support to be able to move into those stories and be very present and say, okay, I'm 44 now. I don't like thinking about what happened to him at eight in this particular experience. However, that experience lives inside of me. Mm -hmm. I thought by working 70 hours a week that I was avoiding it, Mm -hmm. but that's not how this works. So what is my responsibility? My responsibility is take everything that I know as a 44-year-old and give it to that young boy to say to him, that was never supposed to happen. I see the way you're showing up in my life now because of what you knew then. That's not helping. Let me be your safe place. Let me be your protector. And you rest. If we can learn to do this, and it's it's complicated, it's... um, I think the main thing is we don't want to remember how vulnerable we were. Yeah. And then it comes with all these other emotions of just like, damn, this precious kid that lives inside of me, had I known that's where the solutions were, I would have done this a long time ago. I feel guilty that I didn't return sooner. But I think that when you're talking about um, a woman in a marriage where she's being abused and she recognizes that abuse has been repetitive in other patterns, it's going back to the root of making sure that the foundation says you were never supposed to experience this period. 
your your brain, your body was never meant to process abuse. So your coping strategy, the survivor that's survival process that's built out of that is powerful and natural. And it's to buffer how painful that was. Mm-hmm. But then we build a life that's so far removed from that pain that we don't realize we're making all these decisions that are rooted in the pain that's not been processed. Absolutely. And I can, I can speak to that because that was sort of how my, that was the awakening I had to have in my first marriage to realize like all of this is not necessarily because of this. It's because of that. And so what do I do now? So I don't know if you know yet, but I went ahead and did a thing. I wrote myself a little book and it's going to be available to all of you in January of 2022. That's just a few months away. And I am so excited for you to be able to get your hands on it. It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict and Becoming Your Best Self. Now, I bet you're wondering what it's all about. That's a great question. It's pretty much like a what to expect when you're getting divorced, a how-to guide for moms, if you will. Here's what the professionals say. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who has been through it and has come out the other side. Through Michelle's guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mother, and shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self. From co-parenting to dating as a single mother, you'll learn how to truly move on and create the life you deserve. Yes, you will. Ladies, check it out now on my website, momsmovingon.com, and you can pre-order it so you can be the first to get your hands on it. So another question I get asked, and I suppose maybe it's different for everybody. Maybe you can speak to how you've handled it. I can speak to how I've handled it. But you do all this work. You have this awakening. You step into the greatest version of yourself that you feel you can be. And then the second part of your life begins. You have new friendships. You have new relationships. You fall in love, finally, freely and openly. What do you tell them about your past? How deep do you have to get? That's a question I get all the time. Yeah. Um, I dated a lot when I first came out and then kind of just felt out of place because I'd come out so late and didn't know a whole lot and, um, have not dated a lot. I've had one shorter relationship. And one of the things that was very appealing is he didn't have much of an interest in my public world of the platform that I have built. So that's tough. It's really difficult because so much information is right there where it's just like, oh, I, this guy clearly has a history. I think for, <laughs> for anyone to be able to just look and understand that before, before that question, ask yourself, is my story shit or gold? And until you feel like it's gold, nothing needs to be shared. Right. Because we have this idea that Listen, I have some wild, um, intensive, unhealthy sexual behavior in my past, things that I still navigate. 
that are a perfect response to someone who was sexually abused as a child for 10 years like this. Mm -hmm. I don't have shame about that. That is a very natural response of, yeah, that's what happens to kids who are abused like that. Um, and, and maybe wrestle with touch or intimacy or affection or impulsivity, whatever. I think that when you're talking about someone approaching any type of relationship who has this, uh, this past, check in with that part of you first that says, how do I best respect what the eight-year-old version of me did to survive and help me keep going? Because I'm not going to share that story until I'm deeply connected to that part of me and see them as nothing but gold. I think that's such a great point. And I've never heard it described that way. I think that's amazing. You know, you get the, the typical the right person won't judge you and, you know, the right person will understand and love you regardless, but you have to not judge you and you have to understand and you have to be okay with owning that truth. And that was a big step for me, for sure, because I, part of my trauma response was I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, because everyone told me I had to be until I saw that I really wasn't. And in my second marriage, I had to really say like, look, this is who I am. This is what I've worked through. This is what I've experienced. I'm really good at knowing my triggers. I will tell you when I'm overreacting to something because I know that it's hitting a trigger from before. So I'm cool with that if you're cool with that. And and it wasn't so much like, I'm broken, fix me. It was, here's what I've done to work on me. Meet me where I'm at. When you say that, you're showing so much respect to that first marriage and that girl who was trying to find her way, who had to pretend like she was fine when she wasn't, you're showing so much respect to her and any prior version of you who never felt like they had permission to be honest about times they were hurting and presented something else. Yeah. Something I write about in my new book was this experience I had on a date with a guy who I guess I was set up with. I met him at some sort of event and his family knew my family. We went on a first date and he said, so from what I hear, you have all sorts of daddy issues, right? Oh gosh. And I was like, I hadn't even like gotten my cocktail yet. And I was like, yeah, I probably do. And cause I was the typical, like, I'm fine. I don't have daddy issues. I really did. And so he was like, how's this going to affect us? You're not going to go all like batshit crazy on me all the t- time, are you? And I was like, Oh my God. You know what? I probably will because I usually do because I haven't dealt with all those issues. But when he put it out there to me like that, it sounded like such a douchey thing to do. And it was, but I almost needed to hear it. And I'm like grateful. And I will never forget that conversation for the rest of my life. Good on you for turning that around. But what a tremendous disrespect to a young girl who struggled with her relationship with her dad. Like what a tremendous disrespect. Yeah, that term daddy issues really strikes a chord with me. And, you know, people use it jokingly and then people use it as a conversation starter for something deeper, which I will respect, but it really isn't a joke. And, and that little girl is that little girl. I, I like the way you said to speak to that eight-year-old version of yourself. I see that person every day, almost in my child. And that's what makes me work so hard to not let her feel or not put her in a situation that that I was ever in, but kudos to like moving on. Can I say one other thing about saying that, saying that to a woman 
that she has daddy issues is based in patriarchy and misogyny. It is suggesting that she has not emotionally matured in a way that she should have when the reality is she has been wounded by someone that was meant to keep her safe. Why is there not a term for men when they act out in ways that show they have severe issues with their parents? Mm -hmm. Why is there no term? Again, it's a gaslighting, finger pointing term that's used to, to teach women that they're too much and that their experience doesn't matter. And that having an issue with your parent is something to be joked about or shamed. And it's not funny. It's not. Can you shed a little light into what you do now when you sort of feel that trigger or you feel pulled back into that life you once lived? How do you, how do you claw your way out of that on the day to day? The biggest trigger. So as far as like day to day with like anxiety, being overwhelmed, depression, whatever, I have a routine. I really stick with that involves a lot of reading, a lot of self-care. I spent most of my life being um, a very, had a very public job on the front lines, very successful. And I had no idea how introverted I was until I came out and walked away from that career after 13 years and started to recognize I, I really want to be left alone. So as far as like the day to day, um, breath work has been such a significant part, but validation just to be able to see when I have a heightened awareness to be able to pause and say, this is normal. There's no shame involved in the way that your body is responding, be it anxiety, depression, fear, sadness. There's no shame in that. Let's process this so that it doesn't uh, compound and become a new thing that you're afraid to think you think through and process through. I will tell you my biggest trigger is um, religious bullshit. Social media, there are, <laughs> yeah, there, there are accounts on social media that I have so much respect for, but I can't follow them because they talk about religious trauma every day. And I just, I can't, it, it really does heat my body up. When it comes to that, I've learned to separate myself and say someone else's unconscious thoughts are not your responsibility oh, yeah. by even attempting to get someone else to respect your journey and the damage that their religion did is showing disrespect to a younger version of you who's saying, Nope, you give me that attention and you give me that space and time. And I think it's just really transitioning away from, I don't owe the explanation, the education to anyone who are perpetuating behaviors and ideas that cause other people harm, they're not my responsibility. My responsibility is to focus on the younger version of me who felt that pain, had no idea there was a different life out there and provide him comfort and protection from that space. That's amazing. My last thing I want to touch on is the children. So there are so many of us who are now watching our children sort of be dragged through this process because of a narcissistic or emotionally abusive ex-spouse, and they will inevitably um, be the reason why our, our children are sitting on their therapist's couch in 20 years saying, you know, I was the victim of this emotional abuse and why didn't it stop? What advice would you give to a mom who is sort of watching this from afar, but can't do anything because it is very difficult in the court system to prove this type of stuff, but they're seeing their children suffer what they will one day call trauma. To find other women 
that can support her and speak life into her and hold her in that grounding to never feel like she has to rearrange her narrative to create a lie that it's not as bad as what it is to find the proper resources where when she speaks, she's immediately heard, trusted and believed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish that men had the same concern and the same hunger. Um, and, and many do, I mean, many do, but, um, mothers are the ones that I, I feel like as a, as a coach and the people who take my course, they're the ones who have the greatest concern. And I think what they need most are other people who can ground them and say, what you were doing is accurate. What you were feeling is accurate. But in order for you to be that safe space for your child, you have to provide tons of compassion for yourself and the other parts of you that are triggered by this experience. Because I don't think we realize like how much childhood trauma is triggered by parenting. Hello, um, you, all of you, it. Yeah. Like you, Full-time job. Yeah. I'm actually working on a post, uh, several slides right now about, you know, why that hits so hard. But I think what ends up happening is the parent defaults and says, I'm doing something wrong. And that's why I feel this way. No, it's because you're normal. And if you can learn to justify and validate that experience of it's normal for this subconscious part of me to have a strong reaction to my child. Um, and this is what this looks like to find relief in that space. I think that's key. I'm bringing up one of your posts, which hit me on so many levels. We have to change the conversation around family. Harmful projections like, but she's your mom or, but he's your dad cause further harm. A trauma-informed approach is saying, that must be incredibly confusing that your key abuser was someone who was meant to keep you safe because we hear it all the time in co-parenting conversations. Oh, but he's your dad and he loves you. I personally, like, I can't hear that because I heard it as a kid and I just refused to like wrap my head around it. And I love that you said it. And I think it's okay for moms to hear they're not doing anything wrong when their child comes and says, daddy did this and I didn't like it. And you don't jump to his defense. That's not parental alienation. You're not violating your parenting plan. You need to validate your children and what they're feeling before you worry about how it might be perceived in the court or what your parenting plan says. And so I love that you called that out. Absolutely. And again, it's heartbreaking. The messages that I get, the people that are in the course that are saying when they talk about having a hard time with the court system, it's always women. It drives me crazy. It's the women who are deeply concerned about the future and thinking about how is this going to impact my child? Do you know how beautiful that is? Do you know how brave that is to even pause long enough while you're hurting to think about how is this going to impact my child years down the road? I don't think that there's enough support. I call, I use the term cycle breakers a lot, but those parents who are so diligent in trying to break the cycle of, I don't want to pass this on, but I'm seeing this happen in front of me. Please get whatever support you can that just continues to build you up and validate your experience. This is, this is why I just live and breathe for therapy for myself. Cause I know, when I can call out that I'm being triggered and I need to deal with it before it affects my child. I have therapists for her. Like I, it's just, I, I'm in this constant open, like running dialogue with my therapists and all the providers that I have around me to break the cycle. And I, I can't say 
anything bad about just committing my life and most of my finances to therapy because it's just been the best. That's awesome. But for those people who don't have access to that, and I know there are many, there's you and there are your resources, your courses, your site, your Instagram. How can people learn more from you and work with you? My website is natewrites.com. And um, we launched our first course. I say we, I work with a company out of Washington who does a lot of the preparation for the course. I provide all the content and they put it together for me and package it all for me and market it for me. Um, but one of the things that we did when we were working together is they estimated the value of the course. They said, this needs to be between four to 500 bucks because you've got this many videos and timing. And I said, listen, that's great, but that is so out of reach to the majority of my audience. And I'm not going to be that guy who has information that he's sharing that's helpful, but it's not accessible. So we made the price $98. And then the way that the course is set up is if you can't afford that, you apply to be sponsored. And my hope is that the way that I'm showing up on social media encourages other people to just say that I have been offered something that's helpful here. Therefore, I want to sponsor one of these people. When you see the stories that come in of people that need to be sponsored. It's a lot of people in disability. It's a lot of single moms. Um, we've had a lot of students, which makes me so excited, like college age students saying, I just That's can't. Starting young, yes. Oh, we, we had a 19 year old who's in college in the course um, that shared in one of the live Q and A's in August. But that's the main thing. We're going to start an online community at the beginning of the year. Everything that we do, we're trying to make very affordable, um, where it's accessible to as many people as possible and just safe and grounding. But, um, natewrites.com is where you can find some, some of my writing and then all of the resources that I recommend other interviews. And then you can, it leads you to my social media as well. And you have, um, something on your page that I think is fantastic. Find a therapist. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's Mm -hmm. a great tool. Um, I, I will say here that I'm happy to sponsor somebody in your community who needs to oh, that'd be amazing. So you that'd be amazing me because I just, I know what it feels like to feel like you have nowhere else to turn and you're just drowning quickly. So I'd love to offer that experience to somebody so they can learn from you and to everybody listening. Um, if you have more questions for Nate or just want to share your thoughts on this episode. You know, I'm all ears. Nate, where can people reach out to you? Uh, NateWrites.com. There's a um, question box there. And then on social media, if you go to, if you find me on social media, the link tree has all of the tabs that lead to communication. Yes. And I will, of course, link all of this. Before we go, do you have some final words of wisdom for any woman or anybody listening who is currently processing their own trauma and hoping for a better future. I just want to send a message to any woman who is driving in her car, listening to this episode or somewhere really wrestling with that brink where she's questioning, but is my trauma valid, but did I contribute? And I just want that person to believe today that there is a plethora of other survivors who would love to hear their story and hold safe space with them and validate that their pain is very real. I'm not crying, but yes, I am. Okay. (laughs) Lots of tears here today behind the scenes, but like I said, this was going to be a deep one. I said that, didn't I? I warned him. 
I'm so happy we did this. I'm so happy for those of you who are listening that you stuck around and chose to be a part of this somewhat uncomfortable conversation so that you can find more comfort in your future. That's what it's all about. Getting uncomfortable so that you can be comfortable, right, Nate? Yeah. Everybody listening, thank you so much. And we will see you soon. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists, and it's called the Moms Moving On Membership Community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com, and click on Become a Member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.